Chapter Sixteen of Grace Harlowe's Plebe Year at High School. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Blashford. Grace Harlowe's Plebe Year at High School by Jessie Graham Flower. Chapter Sixteen: The Marionette Show. Do you remember your first party dress? How it gave a glimpse of the throat and neck and seemed to sweep the ground all around, although it merely reached your shoe tops. Did you feel a thrill of pleasure when the last hook and eye was fastened, and you surveyed yourself in the longest mirror in the house? So it was with Anne in her pink crepe de chine. Or was it really Anne, this little vision in rose colour with glowing cheeks and sparkling eyes? She stood spellbound before the glass on that memorable Christmas night, and no one disturbed her for a while. Mrs. Gray and the girls had stolen out so as not to embarrass the young girl who, for the first time, saw herself in a beautiful new silk dress, exactly the colour of pink rose petals, which hung in soft folds to the tips of her small pink satin slippers. "'Give her a chance, girls,' whispered Mrs. Gray. "'We mustn't be too enthusiastic about the difference. It might hurt her tender little feelings. But she does look sweet, doesn't she?' "'As pretty as a picture, Mrs. Gray,' answered Grace, kissing the old lady's peach-blossom cheek. "'But they are coming. I hear them on the walk. We must get behind the scenes and see that everything is all ready.' The big drawing-room of the Gray house was soon full of young people watching the folding doors leading into the library with expectant faces. In the hall a string orchestra was discoursing soft music, and the place was filled with the hum of conversation and low laughter. Mrs. Gray, seated on the front row in the place of honour, occasionally looked about her and smiled happily.' "'Why didn't I do this long ago?' she said to herself. "'But then, were there ever before such nice girls as my four adopted daughters?' Miriam sat near, with the other members of her house-party. It had been a source of much discussion whether or not to admit Julia Crosby to the freshman party, but since she was Miriam's guest, what else was there to do? "'We shall be only heaping coals of fire on her head at any rate,' hinted Jessica, "'and that certainly ought to make her feel worse than if she had been left out.' After everyone was comfortably seated, three loud raps were heard from behind the folding doors. Someone began to play the funeral march of a marionette on the piano, and the doors slid slowly back. There was a murmur of surprise and wonder. Two curtains had been stretched across the door opening, above and below, and two hung down at each side, leaving an oblong space in the middle in which stood a little doll theatre nearly a yard and a half long and a yard high. A row of footlights across the miniature stage presently blossomed into light, and the freshman girls smiled as they recognised some of those same little bulbs that had served to illuminate the pumpkin face of Miss Lisa's effigy. The music ceased and the curtains rolled back. There sat Cinderella by the kitchen fire, very stiff and straight, but weeping audibly with her little fists in her eyes. She was ten inches high, and on careful examination it could be seen that two threads attached to her arms and another to the back of her neck made it possible for her to move about and use her hands in a remarkably lifelike manner. Wild applause from the audience, well there might be, for the scene was perfect, from the old brick fireplace with an iron pot steaming on the coals, to the rows of shining pans and blue dishes on a shelf at the side, all of which came from a toy shop, along with a little kitchen bench and chairs. The cruel sisters swept in, dressed for the ball. When they spoke there were convulsive titters among the guests, for the voices of the cruel stepsisters were those of Nora and Hippy. Anne read the lines of Cinderella so plaintively that Mrs. Gray shed a secret tear or two when Cinderella was left alone in the gloomy old kitchen. When the fairy godmother appeared, in a peaked red hat and a long red cape, it was Jessica who spoke the lines in a sweet musical voice. 
how cinderella rolled out the pumpkin and displayed six white mice in a trap and how after a brief interval of total darkness could be seen through the open door a coach of gold in which sat cinderella in a silken gown need not be related here it all took place without a single slip and the dolls went through their parts with such funny lifelike motions that the boys and girls forgot they were not watching real actors it was the scene of the ballroom however which was the real triumph of the evening how did those clever children ever do it exclaimed mrs gray aloud when the curtain rolled back and disclosed the ballroom of the palace with a drop curtain at the back showing a vista of marble columns and pillars a gilt chandelier was suspended in the middle from which stretched garlands of real smilax there were rows of little gilt chairs against the walls filled with dolls in stiff satins and brocades and one large throne chair with a red velvet cushion in it on which sat the prince who spoke with the voice of david nesbit and entertained his guests in royal state after the exciting arrival of cinderella nora played a minuet on the mandolin the tinkling music of which seemed best suited to the doll drama and the prince and cinderella executed a dance of such intricate steps and low bows that the audience was convulsed with laughter there were even suppressed titters from behind the scenes this dance which had been devised by tom gray and grace necessitated two extra threads to manipulate the feet it was most difficult and had required long and tedious practice but the results were quite worth all the time and trouble mrs gray laughed till the tears rolled down her cheeks and made a personal appeal for an encore which was given but there was a mishap this time cinderella's threads became entangled and she came near to breaking her china nose audiences are invariably most pitiless when they are most pleased and have no mercy on exhausted actors at the cry of speech speech the prince stepped forward and made a low bow ladies and gentlemen he said we thank you for your approval and if strength and breath permitted us and the lady had not injured her nose we would gladly dance again for you then came the last scene the stepsisters made desperate efforts to wear the slipper cinderella finally retired triumphantly on the prince's arm and the curtains closed only to open again a few moments later upon a scene which bore a strong resemblance to oakdale high school the fairy godmother occupied the centre of the stage while the entire company of dolls were lined up on either side cinderella and the prince each held the end of an open scroll which bore a printed inscription that could be seen by the audience it read a merry christmas to the fairy godmother of the freshman class a scene of wild enthusiasm followed the young people gave three cheers for mrs gray and ended with the high school yell the actors came out and were cheered each in turn grace tom gray and reddy had worked the marionettes it seemed standing on the back of the table where the theatre was placed while the others sitting on low stools at the sides where they could see and not be seen read their lines which had been composed by anne it wasn't so hard as you might think said grace explaining the marionettes to a group of friends dressing the dolls was easy we glued on most of their clothes and we made the stepsisters ugly by giving them putty noses hippy painted the scenery and david supplied the electric lights the threads that moved the arms and bodies were tied to little cross sticks something like a gallows so that they could be held from above without being seen but the marionette show was only the beginning of the party there was to be feasting and dancing and lastly a big christmas tree loaded with presents the floors were cleared the notes of a waltz rang out and away whirled the happy boys and girls anne and david who did not dance retired to a sofa in the library to look on are you happy anne in your beautiful pink dress asked david regarding her with open admiration how can i help being happy she replied this is the first pretty dress that i have ever had and i never went to a party before either i never enjoyed a party before said david but i'm enjoying this one i hope for mrs gray's sake it goes off without a hitch just then tom gray waltzed by with grace they stopped when they saw their friends and came back 
"'Our efforts are certainly crowned with success,' exclaimed Grace. "'It's the most beautiful ball ever given in Oakdale. Everyone says so. "'By the way,' she added, "'get your partners and fall in line for the grand march to supper.' "'I already have mine all right,' declared Tom Gray. "'And I think I have mine,' observed David. "'She's wearing a pink dress and is just about as tall as a marionette.' Anne laughed and stood on tiptoe to make herself look taller. Suddenly she caught the eye of Miriam Nesbit, who was lingering in the doorway, watching the scene with an expression that the circumstances and holiday surroundings hardly seemed to justify. "'I wonder if the party will go off without a hitch,' thought Anne, as they joined the grand march into the dining-room. When the beautiful, illuminated tree had been disburdened of all its presents, and the guests were well advanced on their supper, Mrs. Gray approached Anne, carrying an oblong box, neatly done up in white tissue paper tied with red ribbons. Pinned to the ribbon with a piece of holly was a Christmas card on which was printed in fancy lettering, A Christmas Thought. "'Why, what is this, Mrs. Gray?' demanded Anne, rather excited, while many of the boys and girls gathered around her, and some stood on chairs in order to see what the mysterious box contained." "'I know no more than you, dear,' replied the old lady. "'A man left it at the door a moment ago, and one of the servants gave it to me. "'Why don't you open it and see?' Anne hesitated. Something told her not to open the box, but how could she help it with dozens of her friends waiting eagerly to see what was in it? "'Hurry up, Anne. Aren't you curious to see what it is?' someone called. "'It looks like flowers,' said another. "'Or candy,' observed a third. And still Anne's fingers lingered on the bow of red ribbon. Was there anyone in the world who could be sending her a box that night?' certainly not her mother nor her sister nor any of her friends who had exchanged presents in the morning mrs gray evidently had not sent it and there was no one else in her small list of friends who would have taken the trouble anne you funny child don't you see we are all waiting impatiently said grace at last anne slipped off the ribbons and opened the package in the box was some object carefully done up in more tissue paper it looks like a mummy exclaimed hippy untying the wrappers anne held up to the curious view of the others a large doll at first she hardly comprehended what it was, and held it out at arm's length, looking at it wonderingly. It was dressed as a man in a black suit, with a long Prince Albert coat, very crudely made on close inspection, but still cut and fitted to give the right effect. The face had been cleverly changed with paint and putty, and pinned on the head was a black felt hat, constructed out of the crown of an old one, evidently, in which had been sewn some lank black hair. A card was tied around the doll's neck, and someone looking over Anne's shoulder read aloud the following inscription written upon it. Why have imitation actors when you can get real ones? Anne gave a gasp. Who could have played this cruel trick upon her? She knew her four friends had never spoken of the happenings of Thanksgiving night, but such secrets would leak out in spite of everything, and there may have been others in the audience who had recognized her. Moreover, her father himself would not have hesitated to tell who she was, so that it was not difficult to understand how the story had spread but who would have the heart to hold her father up to ridicule in this way, and to cause her such secret pain and unhappiness? While her thoughts were busy, David had seized the doll and wrapped it up again. He was very angry, but it was wiser to keep silent. "'What was it, dear?' demanded Mrs. Gray, who had not been able to hear the message written on the card. "'Just a silly trick on Anne, Mrs. Gray,' replied David, for Anne was too near to tears to trust the sound of her own voice." "'Something about actors, wasn't it?' asked Julia Crosby, who was hovering near, and before she could be stopped she had snatched the doll from Anne's lap. The covers fluttered to the floor, and the others pressed eagerly around to get a glimpse of it. David leapt to his feet so vigorously that he upset a chair. "'Give that back,' he commanded. "'It is not yours.' "'I will not,' answered Julia Crosby. "'Neither is it yours.' "'I say you will,' cried David furiously, losing his temper completely. "'Get it if you can,' challenged the girl, darting through the crowd with David at her heels." Suddenly there was a crash, a startled cry, and the great fir tree with all its ornaments and lit candles fell to the floor.
End of chapter 16.